Good folks, I'd like to read a passage from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament as well. We're going to read from the little book of Ruth in the Old Testament, chapter 2, and then uh, we'll read from Ephesians chapter 1, please, in the New Testament. First of all, Ruth chapter 2. I'm beginning to read at verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field, and lean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and leaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go on to the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, saying, I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto, the, unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full, re and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel." under whose wings thou art come to trust. And then the New Testament reading, please, from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you just now. We thank you for the joy of being here tonight. And Lord, even as we have been singing together and listening to your servant minister in song and your servant as he has led the meeting, our hearts have been blessed and touched and moved. And we believe that you're here, Lord. And that makes all the difference. And dear Father, we thank you for your precious word, the Bible, how blessed we are to have it in our mother tongue and to be able to read of a saviour from all sin. And we pray, Lord, as we think about this wonderful saviour tonight and meditate on the holy scriptures that are able to make us wise unto salvation, grant us, Lord, the help of the lovely, sweet Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, according to Forbes.com, the richest man in the world is the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos. He has a net worth of $177 billion. Second richest man in the world, according to Forbes, is Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, who has a net worth of $151 billion. These are wealthy men. But I wanted to point you tonight to a wealthy man that we have read off in the little book of Ruth. And we read off him there in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. And I'm referring of course to Boaz. Boaz was a very rich Jewish farmer. And he's described as a mighty man of wealth. And that's my text for tonight. Just those five words. I want to keep it simple tonight, folks. So here you go. If you hold up your hand and you've got the five fingers, here's the text for tonight. Ah, mighty man of wealth. You perhaps have heard the story of the preacher and his wife was in the congregation and uh, she was blowing kisses to the preacher during the message and the preacher, he couldn't understand what exactly um, she was doing. But afterwards, she explained to him, K-I-S-S, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And uh, I want to keep it simple tonight, folks. So just that little text that I want to leave with you, and I trust it'll be a blessing to you, a mighty man of wealth. Uh, I, I don't want to speak to you tonight about Boaz. Good folks, I haven't, I haven't come tonight from new buildings to Fintana to preach to you about Boaz. No, I'm here to preach to you about someone infinitely greater than Boaz. And his name is Jesus. And I want to tell you that he is a mighty man of wealth. Think about the middle word of that little text. Man. The middle word. The little word man. The Lord Jesus is a man, and I'm glad about that tonight, and I'm glad that he can sympathize with us in our infirmities.
because he is a real human being and he has taken human flesh upon himself. But think about the man Christ Jesus this evening. Was it not Pontius Pilate who brought the Saviour out before the crowd all those years ago? And the Saviour wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, the purple robe. And Pilate cried, Behold the man. And I would cry those words to you tonight as well, 2,000 years later. Behold the man, the man Christ Jesus. I don't know whether you've heard of Count Zinzendorf, the founder of the Moravian movement. But he was converted to the Lord Jesus at 18 years of age. And he was converted in an unusual place. You see, the count hadn't come to a harvest service. But in fact, he was in an art gallery in the German city of Dusseldorf. And he came to a painting, Ecce Homo. And that's just a Latin phrase that, that means, Behold the man. The same words that Pontius Pilate spoke to the multitude. And as the count looked at the painting by the Italian painter, there was an inscription beneath the painting of the Lord Jesus there with the crown of thorns. And the inscription was simply this. All this have I done for you. Now what will you do for me? And I challenge you, dear friend, if you know not the Lord Jesus, I challenge you and I remind you tonight of the great cost that was made for your salvation and the price the infinite price that was paid that you might be saved. And what will you do with this Jesus tonight? Behold the man, the man who was crucified for you, the man who bled and died for you. And, the, and by the shedding of his blood, your sins can be forgiven. Think about the man Christ Jesus tonight. What a man he was. There's no doubt about his humanity. The cults tell us that he didn't have a real human body, but I want to tell you folks tonight he did. We think of the Lord Jesus sleeping in the boat as that boat sailed across the Sea of Galilee and uh, the storm came down and Jesus was sleeping in the hinder part of the ship and he was sleeping because he was a real person. We see the beauty of his humanity. But then, of course, he rose the disciples cried out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus arose and he rebuked the winds and the waves and said, Peace be still. And there was a great calm. And you remember what the disciples said at the end of that incident. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And we say that tonight as well. What manner of man is this? I tell you, he's some manner of man. This Lord Jesus Christ sleeping. But then I think of his humanity that's displayed in his weeping. Not only in his sleeping but in his weeping. Because we read in Luke chapter 19 that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he shed tears as he sat on that little donkey that first Palm Sunday. As he looked out upon the lost Jewish nation. And our brother is coming to minister in, the, in our Oma church uh, about the great evangelistic work among the Jews. And God bless that great ministry. And the Lord Jesus still today has a great love for his ancient people. 
But there, as he looked over that capital city of the Jews all those years ago, we read that he wept. And I tell you, folks, it wasn't a quiet cry, but in the original, it means that he sobbed uncontrollably. And I can just picture our wonderful Redeemer as he sits on the little donkey and the little animal is shaking because the Lord of glory is convulsing with a broken heart over lost people. Oh, the humanity of Jesus seen in the tears that he shed. And I want to tell you that his heart breaks for you tonight in your lost condition and his arms are wide open to receive you however far away from him you might be. I want to tell you there is no one on planet earth tonight beyond the reach of the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, what a man he is. He's a man, according to Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, oh, it's not pointing us just to Boaz. It's pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the man. But our text tells us that Boaz was a mighty man, a mighty man. But dear friends, I'm not here to tell you about the mighty man, Boaz. I want to tell you about the mighty man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Never ever was there a man like him. 2,021 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived. That was during his exile in childhood. His relatives were inconspicuous and had neither training nor formal education. At birth, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the waves and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet all the libraries in the world could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never formed an army, drafted a soldier, or fired a gun, yet no leader ever had more volunteers. He never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the psychiatrists far and near. Once a week, multitudes congregate at worshipping assemblies to pay homage and respect to him. The names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of the past scientists, philosophers and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time has spread over 2,000 years between the people of this generation and the mockers at his crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. 
He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils as the risen personal Christ, our Lord and Saviour. A mighty man, you would agree. But let me finish the message tonight by saying that the Lord Jesus was not just a man and not just a mighty man, but he was a mighty man of wealth. Oh, the riches of my Saviour. You see, dear friends, this universe belongs to him. We're told in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. We're told in Psalm 15, verse 10, the words of the Lord himself, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. And one old preacher said, The hills are even his as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 28, quoting from Psalm 24, reminds us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Oh, the Lord Jesus is a mighty man of wealth because this earth belongs to him, because this universe belongs to him. You know, the scriptures tell us about his wealth in a very interesting way. And there are three descriptions of the riches of the Lord Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. First of all, we're told about the riches of his goodness. The riches of his goodness. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I want to tell you tonight that God is good. The Lord is good. And we're here at this time of year to thank him for his goodness. The word God actually means good. The word God, it's, it's an Anglo-Saxon word, literally meaning good. And I tell you folks, our God is a good God. Don't we sing it with the children, the little chorus? God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. It was the American preacher Paul Weisher who said that the most terrifying truth of scripture is that God is good and we are not. God is good and we are not. And I'm referring, of course, to the problem of sin. And this is the problem that brought the Lord Jesus from the ivory palaces into this world of woe. The problem of our sin. I wonder tonight if you have a problem with your tongue. I wonder do you have a filthy tongue? I wonder does every sentence that comes out of your mouth, does it contain an expletive? You've got a problem with the tongue, my dear friend. The book of James reminds us that the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And therein lies the problem, the problem of sin. 
the sin of the tongue, and you cannot get the victory over it yourself, and you'll never save yourself from the sins of the tongue. And no matter how many good works you perform, you'll never wash away a foul tongue. What about your eyes tonight? Do your eyes lead you to sin? I've got a mobile phone in my hand here. And I tell you folks, it's not too hard, it's not too difficult to press a few clicks and get on some filthy websites. I'm referring, of course, to the curse of pornography, the sin of pornography that grips many a soul today. Wouldn't you agree with Paul Washer? God is good and we are not. The tongue, the eyes, oh, pride, pride, a deadly sin. You'll see that sin displayed tomorrow in the town of Oma, the sin of pride. I'm glad that your pastor has taken a stand against it and the Lord will reward him for that. But you know, friends, tonight the worst sin of all is rejecting Christ. That's the sin of sins. That's the crime of crimes. And that's what damns souls in hell. Rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. The most heinous, despicable sin of all. I wonder, is that you tonight? Up until this point, you've been rejecting the gospel, rejecting this mighty man of wealth that we're speaking about tonight. In spite of the fact that he has showered upon you the riches of his goodness. Will you not turn to him this harvest time, 2021? It's not only the riches of his goodness, but I want to move on and finish off. There's the riches of his grace. You see this mighty man of wealth, the Lord Jesus Christ... He has the riches of his grace and he offers the riches of his grace to you tonight. We've read from Ephesians chapter 1 this evening, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Isn't it good that there's redemption through the blood tonight? Hallelujah for the blood. What hope would we have if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus? From Genesis to Revelation the Bible is a book of blood. One old preacher said, cut it and, you'll, and it'll bleed. Cut the Bible and it will bleed. Hallelujah. There's a scarlet thread running throughout it. Will you not come to the blood of Jesus tonight and find redemption? But back to my point. Ephesians 1.7 refers to the riches of his grace. What it literally means is grace abounding. And it was old John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, who used to often speak about grace abounding to the chief of sinners. He felt himself to be the chief of sinners. Even after he was converted, he used to have trouble and doubts about his salvation. But then one day the Holy Spirit put it into his mind, my righteousness is in heaven. Those wonderful words, five wonderful words, my righteousness 
is in heaven. And John Bunyan rested upon the Lord Jesus, who has made unto us righteousness. And he experienced grace abounding. And tonight John Bunyan is in glory. Thank God for the riches of the the grace of the Lord Jesus. Yes, it's abundant grace. Or can I put it another way? Big pardon for big sinners. Big pardon for big sinners. Oh, a mighty man of wealth is Jesus Christ. There's the riches of his goodness, the riches of his grace. But I must finish with the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. You see in Romans chapter 9 verse 23. We read there. And that he might make known the riches of his glory. On the vessels of mercy. The riches of his glory. The word glory there is referring to heaven. Heaven. That's the hope of every believer. We need to constantly remind ourselves that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And we're going someday to that place where the streets are paved with gold and the gates are made of pearl and the water is clear as crystal. But you know the best thing about heaven is that Jesus is there. This mighty man of wealth is there. And here's the wonder of it all, dear friends, tonight. He offers his heaven to you. Oh yes, it is his heaven because he made it. It belongs to him. That home of many mansions, it's his But he wants to share it freely with you for all eternity. You want to be in heaven? I'm sure you do, for you'd have to be a madman not to want to be there. But to be there, you need to be cleansed in the blood of Jesus. I wonder, can you say with the hymn writer, as we finish this harvest service... Will you say with the hymn writer, on the golden streets of heaven, all men hope to walk someday, yet so many are not willing to accept the living way, but while others build on good works or opinions, if they may, hallelujah, hallelujah, I'm depending on the blood. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight.